let's be real, some of us are drinking the wine to be able to tolerate another person across the table from us. Ding, ding, ding. Boop. Boop, boop. Really in the beginning, I was like, I'm not going out because like really like being in a restaurant makes me want to have a glass of wine. It makes me want to have a martini, you know? So I'm just like, I'm going to like stick close to home for a little while. Then the next phase was kind of like, okay, now I'm going to go out with women that I fucking love because these women I could care less if I have a drink with because I just want to talk to this woman for 40 hours. Like, I don't even care. Now I'm kind of branching out and seeing like how I feel, like, how does it feel? Like, do I, is this person like a person I want to talk to? Is this situation fun for me? Again, I'm in curiosity, just seeing what do I really enjoy and what was the drinking kind of like helping me enjoy, but I really wasn't enjoying it at all. Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm Amanda Patton, your host, a leading expert on nothing. However, I am in recovery and I love it so much so that I launched this podcast where we get to talk to people who are trudging the road to happy freaking destiny across all the different ways that people get there. So While this is definitely through the lens of recovery and sobriety, the stories and the themes that we'll be covering are universally human. So love, loss, grief, excitement, parenting, outside issues, purpose, God stuff, whatever. In the words of the great Ted Lasso by way of Walt Whitman, I want to be curious, not judgmental. So like I said, we'll be talking to people in recovery. We're going to be talking to experts and practitioners who help those people along their path in recovery. And we're just really excited to hear people tell their stories and to be inspired by them and to create a community of support for everybody in recovery and people who know and love people who struggle with addiction issues and whatnot. So anyways, we're so glad you're here and thanks for listening. Hey listeners, just a quick disclaimer before we get into the interview. These episodes may contain adult language and subject matter that's not appropriate for all audiences. Also, we are not doctors or psychiatrists, so what we share on these episodes is certainly not to be considered medical or psychological advice, just our own personal experiences, which we hope will be helpful to others on a similar quest. So that's it, and thanks for listening. Well, hello, everyone, our listener community. Um, Ladies and gents, buckle up. We've got a really fun one today. I'm super excited. Our guest today is Liz Swadek. Did I pronounce it right? (laughs) Um, She has been leading groups and teams of warrior women for over 10 years. Her online community of over 100,000 women support each other in their healing, growth, and expansion. Liz believes women are born warriors. They become them through radical shifts in perspective and owning their choices and voices. She inspires women reclaim their inner warriors through curated masterminds, coaching, and workshops. So we're going to get to hear about all this stuff today. Um, Get out your feminist agenda membership cards. (laughs) Let's get into it. I am. I'm so excited. And one of the quotes on your website was heal the girl and the warrior appears. And when I saw it, that almost just made me cry right now. I, I just had this, it's just, it like hits you in the soul because it's so deep and powerful. So your episode is going to be available February 23rd. So y'all, wherever you get your podcast and or YouTube, thanks for your support. As always, you can find out more about uh, Liz and her work also on Instagram at Liz.swatic. So it's 
uh, liz.s, V as in Victor, A, T as in Tom, E, K as in Kai, or at her website, which is uh, Um And I'm going to put all this in the show notes for you guys too, uh, so you can so you can look it up and and check out uh, her offerings. But welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I heard you or saw you on Holly's um, Soberish podcast, I think, and yes. looked at some of your other stuff and all the things that you have going on. And um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited that you're here. I feel very honored. It always freaks me out when somebody that I'm kind of fangirling about, when you reach out and you ask them to be on, if they even respond at all, but especially when they respond and they're like, sure. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> It's awesome. Course. I support. Cool. Listen, I support fellow podcasters no matter what. I mean, I'm. I'm. That's how I started everything. So to me, podcasts are everything. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, let's start with an icebreaker. If your if your life had a theme song, what what would it be? Oh wow! You know what it would be? It would be that song. Uh, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Like, I, I just feel like I'm like the unsinkable Liz Swadek. Like, they're like, let's throw everything at her in the world. And then I just keep popping back up. So like, I really do. I really, I get knocked down, but I get up again. I love that. I lo- it's so, it's so fitting for your personality. And we were chatting before we started recording about how I love how you're so bright, like your clothing and your personality and just your, you know, it's like fun. It just feels like fun when you look at, when I look at you, you know, and but you're also really serious. You really talk about a lot of serious things as well. So I, I really appreciate that. So tell us a little bit about Let me just say one thing about that, because this is really funny that you say that. I really feel like personal growth is like, we've scared the hell out of people. Like we've literally made it like, this is going to be painful. So strap in and I hope you make it like literally like, so that's, that's my thing. I didn't, I felt like I'd done personal growth for a hundred years. I wanted to make it fun for women. Like that's, yes, we cry. Yes, we do things and we get things done. But at the same time, like, can we just, can we make it fun? Like, can we curse? Can we be inappropriate? Can we laugh? Like, because life's hard enough. I just feel like life is hard enough. Can we just have some fun and some connection? Like that really is. So I'm glad you're getting that from me because that is exactly what I want. I see it, but I also feel it. You know, it's an energy. It's a thing that people either have or they don't. And some people try to pretend to be fun or they try to fake like enthusiasm. And then other times it genuinely kind of like comes off as people and I can tell the difference, you know? And so it feels good. It's good energy. So tell us about White Glove Podcast launch and Warrior Women. Kind of, you know, why were you drawn into this kind of work in the first place? Well, like I said, it started with the podcast. So yeah. I, I was, I, I had, I, first of all, there's no job I haven't had. Let me just say that. <laughs> I've done every job. If you, if you can think of a job, I've had it. So I, I really have had a job of like, I mean, a past, a very varied like career. Like I ran a marketing team, a luxury marketing team. I had my own social media agency for years. I, I was a stand-up comedian. Ha ha ha. I, I was an actress. I wrote screenplays. Like, I mean, I've done a lot of things. And I think, you know, this shocking thing is you can get to a certain age and it doesn't matter how much someone pays you. You could be like, I hate this. Like I was making good money. And I was like, I hate this. I hate this. This is making me miserable. But I also was like, 
what will I do if I don't do, I've done everything. Like what, what, what would I do? Like, I don't even know. And the podcast was sort of the first step. The podcast was like, I have no idea how to record a podcast. I have no idea if anyone's going to listen to this. You know, it was sort of like a wild leap into the unknown. And it kind of gave me some balls, like it gave me lady, lady, lady vulva balls. It gave me like lady <laughs> vulva power. Oh, yeah. Where I was like, I, oh, and now I've got BVE. I got big vulva energy because I just launched a podcast. And now, like, I, what else can I do? Like, I did that. Like, you know, so I, some, I think sometimes when you kind of take one leap, it helps you to get the other, which is why I started White Glove Podcasting because I wanted other women to like experience how great it is when you actually do launch a podcast. Um, you know that. <laughs> you know that more than anyone. And then, you know, really it kind of led to coaching. Like, I'd already been unofficially coaching for many years and had women's groups. And I was really into connection. I'm really into like, you know, personal growth, you know, since I was 10, I loved personal growth. So it just all came together after that. But I don't know if I would got would have had the same confidence if I hadn't launched the podcast first. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it's true. Like, cause I'm, you know, I have all my stuff that I have going on, I was like, Oh, I don't even know how to do that. How do you even start? How much does it cost? Like, how do you blah, blah, blah. And, and then I, and then I just did it and I asked for help and my friend Lee Atkins helped me and I had a bunch of other, you know, and, and then it started going. And I was like, I just remember looking at myself in the mirror, literally and being like, I'm so fucking proud of you. Like you did it, you know? And it's, it's because it's like, I've always been scrappy and resourceful and a seeker. Same, you know, sounds like same like you, but like I needed an outlet to like help people and to be creative and to like other stuff. And, you know, it was almost like, it was almost like a break from, from work, but like, don't get me wrong. It's still work. Like it's, it's a lot of time and effort to do the podcasting. And so I love that you say that though, because it's, it's almost like to get that courage that we're looking for, the balls are like, like you have to do something first. And like, what's the worst thing that can happen? No one listens to it. Everyone hates you and makes fun of you. Okay. That's happened to me before. I'm fine. Um, (laughs) And and that's, you're bringing up a great point because honestly, I think that the, the, the idea is that we're going to get the proof first, like prove to me that I'm confident and I can do this before I do the thing. And it's actually the total opposite. You get the confidence, you get the belief in yourself when you do the thing and then the proof and evidence comes, but you have to actually create the evidence you're looking for. Yes. Yes. And if you're, to me, I think if your motive is good, then it'll just kind of work out the way it's meant to, whether whatever there weren't, there weren't any expectations attached other than to just help people and to have an outlet. And it was right after my dad died and I just needed, I needed something. I was feeling cagey and I'm sober. And when I start feeling like that, it can scare me. And so it's like, you need to listen to that voice about creativity, expression, being of service to other people. Like I knew I needed to do that, but I can't quit my job. I have bills to pay. So it's like, Oh, let's, let's go start a podcast. Oh, (laughs) but yours is like, yeah, well, I've, I've had bad coping mechanisms in the past. So I'm trying to do, you know, better stuff now. So why did you decide to change? This is a podcast about recovery, but we're going to talk about all the things, but like, why did you decide to change your relationship with alcohol? And like, how did you start? Like, you know what I mean? Yes. Well, first of all, no, this is a great question because 
I think a lot of us dance with this. I want to change my relationship with alcohol thing. And we make these little dumb promises to ourselves. Like, well, I'm just going to like, I'm going to stop drinking in January. And then it's like January 25th. And you're like, but it's my friend's birthday. So I'm going to take, you know, like, or like, I'm just going to drink on the weekends. And then you have like the shittiest Tuesday of your life. And then you're like, I'm just, well, just this one Tuesday, you know? And I felt like it was like that kind of stuff, like a lack of keeping promises to myself. And more than that, I was actually interested in why I was drinking. I was like, why am I drinking actually? Because when my kids were younger, it made more sense. Like, oh my God, this is a lot. These ki- I'm ch- trying to keep two humans alive and not kill my husband. Like, of course, <laughs> the wine is the answer. Like, the, clearly that is what the answer is. Right. Not even real, Like, that was not even a question to me. I mean, now I'm questioning it, but before I didn't even question it. Then I was like, well, my life is actually not that chaotic anymore. Like, I don't have little kids. Like, I'm not in the same place. So isn't it important to maybe look at this again? Like, do I really need this? And like, do I want to do it? It doesn't really make me feel good when I drink, when I drink, like I don't wake up in the morning and feel fantastic. Like, why am I doing this? You know? And as a coach, because I know so much about self-regulation, you know, wine is fake self-regulation. I mean, it literally chills you out, calms you down. Like, but that's, then you got to have the next glass. Like it doesn't last. Mm. So I was just interested in all those things. I was interested, why am I drinking? I was interested in in like, could I self-regulate in other ways since I'm a coach and I have all the ways? Like, can I use my own tools or what? And then also like, is this really who I am anymore? Am I like Mrs. Martini? Am I going to be Mrs. I have a drink in every picture? I started to look at my pictures and I'm like, I don't like this. I don't think this is who I am anymore. And I knew it shocked some people because I've, I've been like that. That's how I've been, you know, since people have known me. And so I, I was, you know, I think it was like at first a little scary to me to even put it on the table. But once I really committed to it, it now it's become the most curious, awesome, interesting fucking experience in the world. And I trigger the living daylights out of people and it's fabulous. I love that. I love how you talk about the curiosity. Holly talks about that a lot. I talk about, you know, from Ted Lasso about being, being curious instead of judgmental, like just asking questions and peeking under. But I also loved what you said when you said, I don't think I'm that person anymore because I think that's part of the problem, right? We, we become whoever, whatever the label is. And then, then we just assume it's permanent and we're always changing and evolving. And maybe what I was two years ago. So I love that. I I love it when people use language like for me or right now, it's that reminder that the the impermanence of everything, like we can change our minds. We can change our perspectives um, it's hard, but we can do it. And I think sometimes we just get, I, I get, I've gotten so complacent in different things. And then you look up and you're like, is this even who I am anymore? Where have I been? Where have I been for the last three years? Like, it's just like, you're walking through some kind of weird dream and you wake up, you know? Yes. I also think I had like the total, I remember when we were on like a, my husband and I, and God bless my husband, because if I, I, I if I walk in tomorrow and I'm like, you know what, I think I'm going to do yoga every day for the next 90 days. Do you want to do it? He'd be like, okay. Like he just goes along with whatever the hell I ask him to do. He's so nice about it. But so I told him, I said, I'm, I'm going to not drink like from now until um, we were going to go on a, going on a trip to Switzerland. So I said, I'm going to go like from now, which was like October 
until like Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever we said. And he was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that too. And I thought, okay, well, I have a definite date. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything in between here. And I think in my mind, I was like, wow, everyone's drinking. Like everyone drinks. And then like, I'd be out and I'd be like trying to have a pity party with myself. Like, well, I'm not going to have a drink, but everyone at this table is having one. And I look around the whole restaurant and nobody has a drink. No one. There's no, there's a Coca-Cola over here and a Sprite over here. And I'm thinking, what, what world am I that I think everyone's drinking? Like everyone is not drinking. Like, it's just a funny thing. Like when you finally take that blinder off and like, and put a different yeah. lens in the glasses, suddenly you're like, all the, all the absolutes, like you're saying, like all the all or nothings become really stupid. And you start realizing, no, the curiosity is better. Like, isn't this interesting that I thought yeah. everyone was drinking? Like, no, they are not. It's so crazy. It's like, I'm, I, I've had so many of those moments in area, different areas of my life where, where you start to, in some cases I start to realize like, Oh my God, that's a story that I built. Like it started from a kernel of truth somewhere at some point in my life. And then it got built into something that no longer reflected reality. But it's for me, it was a way to justify how I, you know, continuing to do different things and whatever and whatnot. And when I drank, I drank a lot and I did some other recreational activities as well. And if you live that kind of lifestyle for long enough, eventually your groups are going to, you're going to get rid of, well, I got rid of normal people and I started, my group started to change so that I could have that reflected back to me so that I felt it was normal to take Adderall to be able to go to work and drink six beers at lunch and have to have Xanax for sleep and, you know, whatever. That's what we were all doing. But I kind of chose those people. Yeah. 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 Because I knew other people would be like, are you okay? That seems like a lot or something, but I didn't want to hear that. So yeah. What do you think has been the best part of this change for you so far? Just if you had to pick one thing. Well, I would say clarity. Mm, Yeah. Intense clarity. And I, I, I literally thought to myself, I can have liquidity. Ha, ha, ha. I can be with you over here with my drinks or I can have this clarity. I mean, when I'm coaching women and I coach women in every stage, I've, I've coached women who have million billion dollar companies and they're in, they're in hell. They want to get out of it. They don't even know what they're doing. I've, I've coached women who are just starting their, their whole life is a shambles. They're coming out of a divorce. They don't have a dime, you know, like I, I've been everywhere there, but I have to be very focused. I have to be very like, I really go off of intuition 90% of the time. I'm not following a manual when I coach somebody, right? I have to be looking in your eyes, hearing what you're saying and hearing what you're not saying. And I have to be going down the road literally a year ahead of you to let to show you what's coming so that you stop making decisions based on today. Right? right? So I have to look at that. I can't be doing that if I'm a little foggy or if I have a little hangover or if I'm a little bit like tired because I didn't sleep because I drank three glasses of wine. Like I started realizing like, that's not really going to help. Like I, I love my business and I love what I do. And I, I felt like in a lot of ways that that's, that's the antithesis of what I'm doing. Like I need that clarity and I love that clarity. Like I don't want anything to block my intuition. Yes. Oh God. I love that. I refer to it as my channel. I don't want my channel to get clogged up with stuff, you know, with junk and whether it's to nature, to myself, to my higher power, to my family, to like whatever it is, but 
that ability to just be clear. And sometimes, I mean, for me, sometimes, you know, that all that clarity can be painful. I mean, because you see everything and you feel every fucking thing. And sometimes I'm like, God, this is why I wanted to numb because I, all my little feelers are out. And sometimes it, it can be overwhelming when they're hard emotions or hard things, but because the intensity can be, it feels like it's going to just wash you away sometimes, you know? but it won't, right? Like, I think that's in having community, having a coach, like having, having those, those anchors, um, we can be that for other women and, and we all need one. Everybody needs one, you know? Absolutely. What do you think is the hardest thing so far for you with it? I think it was, you know, keeping, keeping the promise, but also being flexible with it. Like I'm sober ish. Right? Yes. Like yeah. I, what that means to me, and it can mean something different to every single person is that the majority of the time I'm not drinking. Right. The majority of the time I want to, if I'm looking at a year long calendar and I had, you were like, well, Liz, tell me exactly how many drinks you think you would have in a year. I would say if I have, you know, nine drinks in a year, that would be a good year. Right. Like I'm not looking to drink a lot. So right. just, just knowing that I'm not that I'm not shutting the door completely, but I really am almost like it's pretty much shut with like a crack, you know, like knowing that it's safe to become, to change my identity. It's safe to become a different person that is not with a drink in every picture. It's safe to host a a retreat, which I did twice with mocktails, right? Like it's to do that. And once I started kind of like, like coming with this, it was funny how many people like appreciate it. Like when I started giving people like my, my fake rosé, my frosé, as I call it, my fake rosé, they were like, oh my God, this tastes the exact same. Like I wouldn't even need to drink. I'm like, I know. Right. Like, I mean, it's, I think people are kind of relieved. Like if you get to a certain age, you start like really noticing that the drinking is really not helping you. And you really are just like wanting to be in the game with everybody, but really not drinking. Like I want to hold the glass with a pink thing in it and say it's rosé, but I don't really want to drink the rosé. Right. So yeah. I feel like once I kind of like opened myself up to a different change in identity, right? I had to be willing to like go in there and that like I was like, well, I don't know who this is. I don't know yeah. who this person is and so that was a little scary in the beginning, but now I'm like now I'm like, well, I like this girl. She's clear. <laughs> she's confident, you know, like I like this woman. This woman's great. That curiosity though, I love that. And also just the fact that like, cause I'm the same way I want it when I'm in a festive mood, I want to feel festive. And for years into my recovery, I would be at all these things that I would just be holding a water, right? Because I thought, I thought I'm either getting trash or I deserve water, right? right. It was this weird, water. yeah, punished. <laughs> like, and it was so obvious and I felt awkward and I was annoyed that everyone else was getting drunk and I wasn't, it was just this whole thing. And then, but over time it's like, uh, micheladas were always my favorite drink. And one day my daughter was like, just use like a Topo Chico or like club soda instead of beer in your michelada so that you can still have like the salt and the olives and the tomatoes. Cause that's my favorite. And I did oh, and- do that. I know. Right. So like this, this was long because I've been sober about 10 years. So like that was before mocktails really became a thing and all this mixology and whatnot. So yes. or even like some people don't want to drink kombucha because there's point 
one, you know, the trace amounts of alcohol. So some people in recovery don't do that. I do. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, but like for me, I feel festive. It's delicious. It's bubbly. It makes me feel happy, right? Or bubbly water with a salted rim and a, a thing. But like when you're at weddings and people will have, you know, alcohol free bubbles, like you, you shouldn't be punished. I was, I think I was punishing myself or something, but I love this idea of like still getting to be a part of, cause that's really all we want. We don't want to have to, you don't have to catch a buzz to have fun. And it's actually more fun if I'm there for the wedding or the graduation or the thing to engage with actual human beings, instead of thinking like, how quickly can I get drunk? Right. I numb out from any little thoughts that are lingering here in the middle of this awesome thing that I'm supposed to be paying attention to. Like, right. Like yes. it, it really makes sense. And, and and just having, like you're saying, why does that do water? Like I, I, it's so funny. Like the first time I went to a restaurant and I was like with my water and I was like fucking water. Like, you know, I was so annoyed. Boring. And then I was like, well, I can get a virgin mojito. Like that's fabulous. It has mint. It feels festive. It tastes amazing. And I started doing that and I was like, well, at least I feel like I'm like in the game. Like I, I really don't want to drink, but like, can I feel like I'm not a toddler at the table? Like that would be yes. nice, you know? So yes, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and like I said, I, I have been in recovery for a long time around the rooms. And so 12 step programs, different people have different opinions. Some people would call that romancing the drink, which some people in recovery think is dangerous mocktails and all that. For me, it's, it's not dangerous because I, I, it took me a long time to kind of make that transition, but you know, we've all got to do what works, uh, what works for us, but it's, it's just very interesting how alcohol is one of the things in our, in our society, in our culture, that it's just, it's central, right. It's central to socializing. It's just such a, a thing, but it says a lot about the fact that that's really what we're all looking for is connection right? And so the fact that alcohol is there doesn't mean you have to drink it. Like you can still, I thought that alcohols would allow me to connect because then I wasn't nervous and I was more friendly and I would talk to more people and I, you know, I wouldn't feel anxious. And and so I thought that's why I was able to connect, which may have helped for a little while. But then once I crossed a certain line of getting a good buzz going, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know what happened usually after that. But <laughs> that's another. So the other day on your Instagram, you were talking about, and you may not be able to talk about this because maybe you're going to share it and you don't want to like, you know, let the cat out of the bag. But you were talking about how uh, imposter syndrome, like not being a syndrome and all this kind of stuff. And I always, we all, everybody talks about it all the time. And I just never really feel that way. I'm like, I know that what I'm qualified to do, I do. And I do well because I've, worked at that and I don't feel bad about it. And I, you know, there have been times where I'm like, you know, you know, I can't believe these people are looking to me for answers. Like I have feelings like that sometimes <laughs> as you advance in your career, but sometimes I'll look around and even people that I think just like hung the moon, they don't know what the hell they're doing either sometimes. And so it's almost like, I know imposter syndrome is a thing, but I, I think that women, especially, we just feel like we don't deserve what we have, or we're not qualified to be doing X, Y, Z or whatever. And like that, that's just bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Yes. To me, because generally we're doubly qualified, um, and given about half the credit, you know, in the corporate environment, um, compared to men. And so 
I've always been like, oh, I, I'm not an imposter, honey. I am, I'm here. I earned this seat type of deal, which is a little bit of, you know, bravado. But what do you mean by that? Like, what, <clears throat> what does that mean to you? Well, I think imposter syndrome is bullshit. So I actually think it's not a thing. So I agree with you. I'm in your camp. Okay, um, but I do know that I, co- you know, all the women I coach will tell me that because women I coach love to argue their limitations with me. Yeah. They're like, no, but I really can't. And I'm like, but you really can't. And let me show you all the ways you can. And let me show you how you actually can. And it's going to happen. We're doing this because you would not even work with me if you wanted to stay the same. People know that. No one thinks when they come near me that they're going to not change. That's, uh, that's hilarious. Like people, people don't even <laughs> want to be with me. You're like, I don't even want to like come to your free thing because I'm afraid I'll make, I'll make changes, right? Like they don't even come here. So, so, you know, it is really a thing where, you know, you just are out of your comfort zone. You're out of your comfort zone. And so your mind starts playing these tricks and saying, you know what? You don't actually know what you're doing. Like it was fine when you had that job, but now you're saying you're going to leave that job and you're going to do something else. And you know what? You really like, you're really kidding yourself. Like that's not going to happen. Right. So I call that mind fuckery. But imposter, that's my fun name for it, but imposter syndrome is actually not a syndrome. And I did a whole podcast about this, but it is, if you look back to when it began, it was these two women who are researchers and they actually called it a phenomenon. So we have attached this word syndrome to it as if we need an antibiotic and call a doctor because we have another fucking syndrome. Um, And I just, this is just yet, yet another patriarchal bullshit thing that they have kind of stuck on us. I also don't love the word resilience for that reason, because we've now taken that to mean you don't get to cry. You got to suck it up. You got to be looking like you came out of Pilates and you can't gain a pound and all the things, right? So some of these things are traps if we're not careful. So this whole imposter thing, I'm I'm moving people into, it's an imposter feeling. It's an, it's, I'm having a feeling like I'm, I'm an imposter. Like I can't do this. And because it's because I'm out of my comfort zone, that's all it is. You know, there's no big mystery. There's no magic to that. It's just that whenever we're going outside our comfort zone of out of what is familiar, we are going to have some of these, this mind fuckery. We're going to have some fear and imposter feelings are fear. That's all they are. But, but also don't you think that we've been gaslight gaslit to believe that we don't belong in certain places or that we can't do this or we shouldn't do that and all this. So it's kind of like some of that is that you've got to be aware though, of the conditioning that you've received and just, and reject it and be like, no, yes, I may be feeling this way. And, and that's kind of, that's part of it too. Is just, um, you know, it's not some syndrome that you get stricken with. It's more like, like exactly what you're saying. There's this, there's this sensation that, I don't belong here. I can't do this. And a lot of times I correct myself. A lot of times if I'm if I'm giving myself a pep talk about something going on at work or in my life or whatever. And I, I say things to myself, like you can do this, you know, you can do this. And then I'm like, no, you're fucking doing it. You're doing it already right now. Like, don't say you can do this. Like you're already, and that's this, this ideal of perfection you know, that women are expected to uphold all the time and and never show any cracks and whatnot. And then when we finally get to this place, we're made to feel like, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't earn this. You don't deserve this. Who do you sleep with to get that job type of shit? Right. And so I think it's real. I'm not saying the feelings aren't real, but it's not. The feelings are real. It's actually, I think what you're trying to say, and I'm going to just say it for you, is that it's a green light. It's not a stop. 
It's you're, you don't you don't feel the imposter feelings and then say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to do it. You actually have to almost look at it like, oh shit, I'm having imposter feelings. I must be onto something. I must be really fucking doing something because I'm getting these feelings. Right? Like I must be really doing something exciting. Right? Like that is actually the truth. And yeah. you know, you're right when you say that it's like a syndrome put on us. Like it's it's a ga- it's gaslighting because literally, I see men. Men will apply, apply for a job and it will say, you must have these 12 factors before you apply for the job. The men will look at that 12 list and they'll be like, you know what? I'm, I don't have any of these 12, but I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. Women <laughs> will look at them and be like, oh, I have 11, but I don't have the 12th thing. So you know what? I am not qualified. Like we are such rule followers. We are over here just minimizing ourselves and trying yeah. to fit in a box. And these men are like whipping their dicks out. They're like, I'm just going to go and do this job. It's going to be so great. I'm going to just try to be a principal of a school. Like, I'm just going to fucking do it. And women are like, even though I've been a principal for 87 years, I don't know that I'm qualified to be a principal. No. So like part of it is just like this confidence gap, you know, that we have. Um, And then part of it is like exactly what you're saying, misreading it, not knowing that it's a green light versus a red light. Right. Oh, God, I love that. I love that. It is a sign. Like I am, I am outside of my comfort zone. I'm exploring and I'm pushing and that's why I feel uncomfortable. And, you know, I think yes, we're made to be afraid of our own shadows sometimes. Right. Or that you're going to get ridiculed or, or, or whatever. And like, who cares, you know, well, in your online yes. presence in various platforms, you talk about when you were 49, I think, and you looked around and you were just kind of unhappy in every area of your life and you made some really big adjustments. You left a job that you were not happy in. You released a toxic family relationship. You know, you just you just made some major changes. Like, was there, a, was there something that happened to spark this? Or like, had there been signs? Well, was there something, a catalyst? And then... In retrospect, were there signs all along that you had kind of like ignored maybe? Like, I just want to know what happened because we're all trying to get to that place, right? Where we just wake up and we're like, I'm done with the bullshit. Like, I'm I'm living my life, you know? So like, how did that happen for you? Well, I think it was watching people turn 50 and they were trying to hide it. Like, they were like, oh, I don't want to do anything. I'm turning 50. And they were like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to celebrate. And I was like, what? Like, you're going to get to 50 and you're not, you know? So then I thought that's really weird. And then I, I started asking people like, well, why don't you want to celebrate? Well, I don't feel like I've done anything. Well, I don't feel like I've gone far enough. Well, I don't feel like I'm further along in my career. And I thought, Oh shit. Like, okay. So, and then I was turning 49 and I was like, Oh shit, I'm a year away from 50 and I'm feeling the same. Like I'm feeling like, is this it? Like, really? Like, this is my whole life. Like, this is all I'm going to do. Like, it just didn't seem good to me. And I thought, well, shit, I'm not going to come into 50 like that. I'm not coming into 50 crawling and hiding and acting like I have nothing good. I want to be able to really celebrate myself. And then I asked myself the most important, important question you can ask yourself, which is, well, what would that take? What would it take to come into 50, like arms up through the tape, Like I am here, like literally running through the tape, like arms out. I'm like, well, what would that take? And I literally started looking at every single thing. I was like, well, I don't like the way my health is going right now. I have this really toxic relationship with this family member that's been going on for 40 plus years. 
I'm, I don't really know if my marriage is really on track right now. Like I just started looking at every, I hate what yeah. I'm doing for a living. Like I just looked at every single thing and started to gradually, I mean, it took some time, but over that year really make some changes. And that has, that was, and you know, listen, some of them were terrifying to say that you're yeah. just like no longer going to speak to somebody in your very close family. Can't even imagine. Going change, yeah. It's going to, it's going to change the dynamic of your entire family. Yeah. I was like, maybe they're gonna take her side and not even talk to me anymore. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. So it was very, some of it was very, very hard, but looking back, I did every single thing that has led me to this moment here. I would yeah. never have this business. I would have, ne- I mean, I'm making more money than I ever made ever in all of my jobs. I'm, I'm, I'm living happier. I'm freer. I'm more in this like spirit of just being delighted by things mm. than weighed down. Mm. And I, and that's all because I was willing to really look, take a hard look at like some of the things that I just was accepting in my life. God, I love that. It takes major, major, not only courage, but, but also the action. Like you said, like, I love that question. What would it take? I mean, cause that's where the rubber meets the road, right? We can think about all the things in the world, but like, until you put a pen to paper and you're like, okay, what really though, what do I need to do? And then you look at and the list for and you're every, for every person, right? Yeah. Like for some people, they don't give a shit about some of the things I just said. Like that's not even on their list for yeah. other people. They're like, Oh, I would, I need to quit this job. I need to like leave this husband. Like, I don't know what their things are. Right. Only, you know that. Yeah. But when you look at the list and you get help, you get a coach or a thing or whoever therapist, like whatever your deal is. Like when, when I, you know, got sober or started working through things in therapy for my childhood and whatnot, or whatever, when I looked at the list, I was like, I have dogs. I totally get it. I was like, Oh shit. Do I really want to do that? Do I really want to deal with all that? And I had to really, you know, think about it. So I just, it's so, I love how you say it. And especially when you're like, you know, how you feel delighted instead of weighed down. Um, that's, that's huge. You know, my, we lost my, my dad at the end of, um, 2022 and he was 66 and just this like strong, young, healthy, you know, bulletproof guy. And then he got sick and then he was gone. And that was my, that was my, are you fucking kidding moment of like, he was getting ready to retire and he just stayed in the, not that he didn't have a good life. Cause he did like, he had you know, a lot of, but had he known he was going to die at 66, would he have made different choices? And like, now I'm 48 and I'm like, well, what if I die at 66? Shit. What if I die next year? Would I, would I still choose to live tomorrow the way I'm living my life today? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And that scares me because it's over. Like that shit is over. Like we know everybody's going to die, but when you're in the room, when someone passes away, especially someone you love, and I've never experienced that before until that happened, the realness of, like how precious this time is. And when you're, you know, just going through the motions sometimes and you don't even realize it until something big happens and you're like, Oh my God, I need to wake up. I need to wake up and make different decisions. So hearing you talk about this and just the fact that you just said all that out loud, you know, you're so open about all these vulnerabilities that a lot of us are trained to not talk about, especially women, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if we don't talk about it, then no one will do any of the things. And, no. you know, I'm living proof that you can do it and you don't die. 
Um, yeah. but, but, but a good, good, yeah, I'm still alive. I did all those things. I'm still alive. Um, but also to your point, like how long do we think we have? We all have friends. I mean, I'm so sorry about your father. Like it's terrible. Like I have friends yeah. who died in their fifties. They got cancer out of nowhere and they were dead in six months. Like how long do we think? We have? So like, if you're not going to really do it, like, what are we doing? You know, yeah. like it really, it really made me think like, what are we doing? Like, what am I doing? Like, do I think I have a hundred more years? Like, this is my one life. And you go through this life, like with this sense of duty and like, no, I need to provide for my children and pay the bills and do the things. And yeah, of course we're, we're adults. We have responsibilities. I get it. But like, but what about the other stuff instead of waiting until retirement? Like, why aren't we making choices that reflect that type of stuff in our day to day, you know? And I think those are the things that you don't really think about until something, until something like that happens. So what, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Um, I think the best, best advice I've ever been given is really the advice I gave myself, to be honest, which is, uh, which is that the comfort zone, the comfort zone is the dead zone. Like, I, I think we haven't really looked at comfort zone enough. Like when people say, well, I don't know, but I'm in my comfort zone and like, I'm scared. And I, and I get that if you're in your comfort zone, you're in a dead zone. It literally means you're actively dying. Because when you're in a comfort zone, you're actually not growing, you're not expanding, you're not excited. And human beings are really funny this way. We need that community. We need that connection. We need to feel like we're going forward. We're like dogs. Like you cannot walk a dog. Like a dog wants to be walked. They're like, get me out of this house. I have to go forward. Like, right? So human beings are like that. We need to be growing and progressing. And when we really say, oh no, it's fine. I'll just be in this, you know, shit marriage, shit job, whatever. When we tell ourselves that, we get really depressed and then we start literally shrinking down and dying. Like a part of us just starts to die. So I tell women, you know, I know you think it's cozy in your comfort zone, but comfort zones can be incredibly bad. They can be incredible. Your comfort zone could be drinking your face off, yep. right? Your comfort zone could be an abusive marriage. Like you, your com- that could be your comfort zone because that's all you know and that is familiar to you. Right. Yes. And when I say to you, oh, no, 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 you're going to leave that job. And that brings up like, oh, my God, I'm going to get hives. So I'm going to leave this job. Oh, my God. Right. Like, but really, you're actively dying when you're in that dead zone. That comfort zone is a dead zone. I want women to really know that, that that comfort zone is not doing a damn thing for you at all. Oof, that's hard to hear. I know hard to hear, you know, but you're so you're so right. And you can feel yourself losing that light as the time wears on when you settle into that cozy little spot, whatever it is, um, you can feel it. And it is, it does feel like this low hum, depression, anxiety, like apathy, whatever, whatever it is, or drinking or numbing in other unhealthy ways or whatever. But well, okay. So there's a lot of talk out in the world about toxic positivity when coaches or leaders try to gloss over kind of actually acknowledging and processing shit when it comes up. How so? Like as a coach, because I sponsor women, I do life skills facilitator at a nonprofit. Like I do things that are coachy as well. And like I am not one to say like suck it up, you'll be fine, or this that's life, or like you know, or or like be positive and it'll you know. I'm I'm more like let's, but you don't want to dwell. And so like in my how do you stay practical and solution focused without being dismissive of people's 
um, issues with toxic positivity? Like, how do you figure out how to, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yes. No, I know what you're saying. I mean, listen, there, there, there are women who have been victimized. That is real. Like they yes. have been victimized. And that is, that is never anything I'm going to gloss over. And, and that look can look like many different things, you know, that can trauma, big T, little T. I think it's to me all the same. Everybody has been through very traumatic things and even something that they think is not traumatic because women always try to minimize this to me. Yeah. I know how important that is. And so I, I never, ever want women to be like, Oh, cool. Like, you know, like just, no, I don't want anyone pushing through and just kind of toxic pipe, but bypassing, you know, toxic, toxic positivity, bypassing that. I don't like that. But I will say this, your subconscious mind is incredibly powerful. And so it will get used to what you feed it. So if you're feeding it things like nothing ever works out for me, I'm really not worthy. I don't think I deserve this. Like if you're just eating a steady diet of that, then even when you're not telling yourself that your mind will just continue that shit on. And whatever you heard growing up, right? Like I had a really abusive father. This man did not speak over me like, oh, you're just, you are loveless. You're just, you know, beautiful. You're going to be a success. I did not have that father. I had a terrorist kind of a father who thought he he ruled by intimidation. So Mm -hmm. I took that and brought that on myself. So even when I was launching this podcast, you know, the fear of failure was bigger for me because I had someone in my house that if you failed at one thing, this man would tear your head off. So that's something that I had to work through and love myself through and give myself compassion through. But yeah. I really believe your, your subconscious mind, and we, I work a lot with this with women, that your subconscious mind is, you, you, you can say all the things, you can say, oh, Liz, I really want more money and I really want to be in a healthy relationship. But really, whatever is going on in your subconscious mind is av- obviously feeding you the opposite because you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in. So sometimes right. we have to really look at like, what are those subconscious beliefs? And that we have, that's where we have to change, right? Yeah. That's what, you know, and, and we have to reframe the story because there are diamonds in your story. So yeah. I'm a big fan of, okay, yes, that happened to me. I have a client that had a really traumatic event happen just recently. She traveled, very, very traumatic event. I, I mean, I can't even tell you how traumatizing this was to this woman. And we were talking about it and she said, and, it, and what was really bothering her was not the event. What was really bothering her is what she made it mean. Because right before she left on the trip, she felt like she shouldn't go. And right before she left on the trip, she said, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea. And she did it anyway. She went against herself. And that was what the, that was really what was bothering her, that she almost got herself killed going against herself. And that that she thought this trip she was going on was going to lead to this like amazing future. And it was a dead fucking end. And she didn't know what she was going to do. Right. So it's really what we're making it mean. So working through some of that and reframing things, we were able to look at it with a little bit of objectivity because we've already kind of cried about it and we've already kind of looked at it and we are still healing from the trauma of it. But we're also now a lot, we got a little distance on it and now we're using objectivity and like a little reframing going on where she started to say everything is leading up everything leading up to this moment was basically to shatter me so I could actually be who I really am because mm. she had been kind of in this performative life performing for everyone trying to outrun her feelings and this was the first time that she got caught 
and she wasn't going to, there was no way she was going to avoid feeling these feelings. Hell no. So this is really the beginning for her. And this is really what she's here for. But that took some, you know, healing, feeling and reframing, right. And looking for the diamond in the ashes. That is just beautiful. I, and it reminds me of what you said earlier when you said that women love to stress to you their limitations. And I think that's the difference of like, I can't do this because this happened, or I can't do this because of that person, or I'm not good at X, Y, Z, right? It's like, it's that feeding of the subconscious mind and and whatnot versus, Hey, I have a real trauma that I actually need to talk about process, deal with, heal from all of that. And sometimes people want to just lump everything together and make it sound like you're complaining. And some things need to be treated through emotional filters and gentleness and and all that. And other shit that I do and say needs to be put through a filter of tough love by women who are close to me in my life, who I trust. And sometimes I don't know the difference, right? Like I'm like, no, this feels like a trauma to me. They're like, that's not a trauma. That's some bullshit you made up in your head. Get over it. Right? Like sometimes I need to hear that. And other times I need someone to be really gentle with me about like, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Let's talk about it. Right. And Sometimes for me, it's hard. This is why we need coaches. This is why we need someone else, right? Because it's it's crazy how that stuff will just circle the drain for years. I mean, that stuff can just infester and grow and turn into a different story and whatnot. But also it was powerful when you talked about how she went against herself. And, and that is so painful when we do that, right? Um, because we're never, our intuition is never wrong. It's just never wrong, you know? It's never wrong. And we go against it all the damn time. That's yep. what's so crazy. Yep. We go against it even like we won't even order the food we want because we just think maybe it's not going to be good. It's like, it's like we, every little, little time <laughs> we ignore the intuition, right? We don't, you don't realize how many times it's knocking on your door until you yeah. really start paying attention and you're like, holy shit. I'm like literally turning every idea, every little intuitive hit away. And then we're like, I can't feel anything. I've, I don't, I can't, I feel like I'm not connected to myself. I'm like, because you won't even let yourself have the kind of ice cream you want for God's sakes. Like, I mean, like really, like you, you really, you, we underestimate how much we really shut that down. Yeah. It's, it's, that is just really powerful to hear you say that. So how would you say your relationships are different and like with other people, your kids, husband, friends, whatever, but like with yourself also, like what kind of changes have you seen in your relationships? You mean since I'm not drinking or just yeah. since the work yeah. or yeah. or all of it, but yeah, without alcohol or without as much alcohol, I love to hear how that changes. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a really important point. I mean, let's be real. Some of us are drinking the wine to be able to tolerate another person across the table from us. Ding, ding, ding. Boop. Boop, boop. So that's, I really, in the beginning, I was like, I'm not going out because like really like being in a restaurant makes me want to have a glass of wine. It makes me want to have a martini, you know? So I'm just like, I'm going to like stick close to home for a little while and hang out with my husband and my kids and you know, whatever. Then the next phase was kind of like, okay, now I'm going to go out with women that I fucking love because these women I could care less if I have a drink with, because I just want to talk to this woman for 40 hours. Like I don't even care. Right. Like, so then it was like, now I'm kind of branching out and seeing like how I feel, like, how does it feel? Like, do I, is this person like a person I want to talk to? Like, is this situation fun for me? So it's really kind of like, again, I'm in curiosity, just seeing what do I really enjoy and what was the drinking kind of like helping me enjoy, but I really wasn't enjoying it at all. 
Mm. You know, so that's still something I'm figuring out, like in this new identity that I have where I am mostly not drinking. That is awesome. Yeah. It, yeah. You really I do. Will, you learn. You learn a lot about yeah. what, you, what you like, who you like, what you, you know, just it's crazy. It's, it's revolutionary yeah. to get to see yourself that way, you know? Yeah. But I also think to your point, you know, when you were like, you share all the vulnerabilities, it's so nice, right? Like you appreciate that. You're like, oh my God, she's sharing. I'm so grateful, right? The minute I started really talking about this soberish journey with people, now I have women who are coming to me and they're like, you know, I, I, I stopped drinking for like two weeks, but then I had a drink. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, listen, dude, like, this is not about what I think. This is about like, how are you feeling? Like, is that feeling good to you? Like, are you feeling better? Do you feel like you needed to completely take it off the table? Or you feel like you kind of like need to kind of go cold, 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 cold Turkey for a little while. Like, are, or are you feeling like you like how it is? Like, how are you feeling? You know? So it's kind of brought some relationships you know, closer into me because they get to like share this part also. Yes. And it's a part that a lot of women are not talking about because they, some of, some of us really don't even want to like question it because it's such a coping mechanism that we're like, um, don't touch my wine. Like, don't yeah. touch it. I'll kill you. Like, no. So it's, it's definitely brought some intimacy, you know, in yeah. my relationships. I remember I kept, I kept waiting for a different answer to come back, whether it's from the doctor, the therapist, other people, I kept waiting for, nope, not that. That's the thing you're not going to take. Let's talk about other stuff that what I can fix to feel better, right? But you're not touching that shit. And ultimately, that was the thing that I did have to surrender to be able to get to who get back to myself, right? Um, but that's different for everybody. And it's also evolving. It's changing all the time. So what's true today is not going to be true in six months or two years or whatever. We've got to always be checking in. But you know, we like routine. We like to lock stuff in. We like to say, okay, this is it. This is the answer. This is forever. Right. And that's just not how, hopefully that's not how we are. Cause like you said, when we get to that spot, we're dying. We, we stopped uh, growing and evolving. But so as a woman, it can be hard to see kind of what's going on in the country politically without just being absolutely pissed off. And there are so many issues in the world. So I don't want to say like, this is, you know, the biggest or the worst, but, but it's very personal and having access to basic healthcare and bodily autonomy removed, you know, by the Supreme court, I just never thought it would get like this. And then living in Texas where I live, it's like fucking Gilead. Like I can't even believe the audacity of these men. I, I literally cannot. And so I get real worked up and real fired up. And then I feel full of rage which is not healthy for me or helpful, but I want to continue to advocate and, and do things and vote and do all the stuff that I just, you know, do my part. So my question to you is how can we stay aligned with solution and advocacy without either being so mad or total apathy, right? I can't control it. I don't even give a shit anymore. I'm not even going to vote because I can't listen to this crap anymore. Like wh- how can we approach that in a healthy way? If you, as a coach, how would you, recommend that? Well, I think rage is incredibly useful. I'm going to be just honest with you. I don't think rage is... You're like, say that big sigh. I love you so much. Oh, okay. Um, I think rage... I really really think women have been pushing down this rage for so long. Mm. We need to have rage release. We need to be able to be enraged in safe spaces where we get to really say this is fucking terrible and it's wrong and I'm fucking pissed off and like to really like feel those feelings because pushing that shit down is not good for us 
And so I do think rage is actually helpful. I really do. And I know it's scary for us because like, I, I especially because I grew up in a, in a, in a kind of a, with a, with a rager, I, you know, the thought of like being with people screaming, I don't always love it. You know what I mean? So, but I had to really get comfortable with like my own rage and like being able to release it safely and like have a space to do that. Yeah. So I coach through that because I think it's incredibly powerful. And I do that with rapid transformational therapy sometimes, um, and, which is basically hypnotherapy and there are five years of therapy married together. So I do that sometimes, but I will say, cause I'm, I'm with you. I think it's Gilead. I, I you know, I get very frustrated by, um, what men, uh, in this country continue to do, uh, old white men continue to do, uh, to women in this country. Uh, and I'm sick of old white men making the decisions. And I, <laughs> I will say, if you really want to do something, there's nothing more powerful than a white woman nothing. The only thing more powerful than a white woman is a white man. And so understand your white privilege and fucking use it. Vote like a black person. Vote like a black woman. Get in there and vote and and put your money down because these men, they put so much money into these into these campaigns into into candidates, right? Women need to run for office be in control. Women need to support candidates. Like Marianne Williamson is running. Nobody even fucking knows this. Yeah. Like people, if you want it, a woman, if you want someone to be running it like a liberal, this is your person, go and write a check. Like pe- women do not financially put their money down because a lot of, a lot of women are afraid because they're like going against their husbands. Like their husbands are super Republicans and yeah. you know, they don't want to like, you know, but you do, you have to put your money where, and you have to be active. You have to show up in places. Like when a, when a black woman shows up in protest, that's a life or death moment. She could die. Yeah. Like a cop could kill her. A white woman can fucking show up anywhere. We can fucking show up and be like, no, this is not cool. So we really have to show the fuck up. We have to yeah. show up, got to pay. We've got to, we got to speak up. So I think the, the rage is good, man. We cannot go silent. This is not the time for silence. No. If we start letting the fucking wheels come off now, like, and look, watch how they just keep pulling everything back and I mean, repealing everything. You know, we are too smart to let this go. We need yeah. to like constantly be looking for ways to come together, activate. I have a, a number of organizations that I donate to that I believe in. I'm happy to give you that list. One of them is here for the kids, which is really a great grassroots organization uh, okay. to stop gun violence, which is really oh, God. an incredible campaign. So I, I'll give you a bunch of the ones that I follow okay. in. But let me say, my number one donation every year is to the ACLU. The ACLU is fighting every case every person, and you don't even know the cases. It's like they're the CIA. You don't even know the cases they're fighting for you. They are literally knocking shit down all the fucking time. That should be everybody's number one spend is the ACLU because they are fighting all the battles you don't even, you don't even have the privilege of knowing about, right? And then after that, whatever, you know, abortion, all the things, but they're fighting yeah. the abortion. Rights. They're fighting for abortion rights. So if you, right, they're, they're doing everything right? To make sure that people are still, um, that marginalized people and people who need to have rights get them. So that's, 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 awesome. that's what she says. 
I did not even see, I didn't even know that because I'm more like donating to local campaigns and helping people get registered to vote and like doing things in, in my little area, because it's like, I know I can be useful, but the ACLU, those are the things and a couple things like rage. I was taught, you know, unfortunately in my childhood and being, you know, all prim and proper and female and like Southern Baptist, small town, all this kind of stuff. It was like, you know, women can't, you can't be angry. That's not ladylike. Like I wasn't allowed to be mad. Um, I just was like supposed to look cute and nod and be agreeable and accommodating. Right. And I did that for a very long time. And I turned into a ball of rage, very young age. And I didn't really know why was I so pissed off. And I felt so like, like a pressure cooker on the inside. And but the boys, the men could go slam doors and peel out and punch holes in walls and yell and scream and do whatever the fuck they wanted. And I was, I wasn't allowed. So I love that permission to like, yes, I am allowed to be, you know, full of rage. And the other thing I think too, is just the, the privilege, because truth be told, if I needed healthcare, um, I could get on an airplane and fly somewhere and get it because I have privilege. I have a ton of privilege because I am a white woman. And, but I don't care about myself and my rights and my shit as much as I care about the women who don't have access. That is the issue. You know, that's the fucking issue. And, and other people are like, why do you care? That's not your problem. This is not, and they're always like, how do you not care? But most of these people making up these rules don't have a uterus, you know, they don't have, they've never been in these situations. They haven't. So anyways, thank you for sharing. You and I both know this is not about babies. Has nothing to do with babies because if it did, because let me say, women love babies more than anybody. There's no one that loves a baby more than a woman, right? <laughs> we're not looking to be over here killing babies. That is not what we're saying. What we're saying is we are not going to have a baby against our will just because that's good for you and not. And we're definitely not going to have a baby that we've been raped or had incest or all. That's definitely not happening. So no. women having over their bodies is what this is about. This is not about a baby. There's if, they, if this is about babies, then go to the fucking foster system and get all those fucking kids and and adopt them. All these yeah. people who are so worried about babies. So it yeah. is not. It's about control and about power. Because if women are this actualized, if women are this in touch with their rage, if women are comfortable with their rage, look at Gloria Allred. Oh. Gloria Allred. I just had her on the podcast. She is. She's so fucking pissed off. She gets on an interview. A man can't get a fucking word in. They're fucking afraid of her. And you know what I say? Yeah, you should be fucking afraid of her. She's smart as fuck and she'll take you down. So like that's the kind of energy I'm here for. It is right and real to be angry about this subject, right? It is true, right? And And so I don't shut down our rage at all. I think we should fucking use it and, and, and buoy each other with it. Yes. And I've had this conversation too recently with a family member who happens to be male, but it was like, it's not about the abortion. That's what people don't get. It's about the fact that you think you have the right to say that you have jurisdiction over my body. It's, it's about, and that shows up in all kinds of policy across all kinds of other things. Right. But, and the fact that we already got this right, we already won this right. And it was removed. I think that makes it even more painful. The things that women went through, but anyways, I want to be in solution. I, I want to use my rage and transmute it into how do I help? How do I show up? Where can I send my money? Who can I support? You know, and yes. unfortunately, though, the female, especially women of color who run for office, they're just they're not supported, you know, enough. And it, it's hard to. OK, I could talk about that for 
ever. Well, we'll do, maybe we'll have a separate podcast about this because yeah. I would talk about. I, I'm just with you. I will talk about this for literally a hundred years because it's well, my it's my favorite, one of my favorite subjects. What do you think is the most valuable piece of advice that you give out to women? And I'm sure it's so different for every single person. But like, if you had if you had to pick one, what do you, what do you think? I mean, there's so many things. I guess it would be that women need to be thinking about their legacies a lot earlier than they are. Because when I was 40 years old, I still had young children and I was like, you know, like we were talking about still drinking wine, right? Like I was over here at wine. And meanwhile, while I'm doing that, they're already starting to overturn things. They're already still making sure we don't have equal pay. Like I just didn't have my eye on the ball at all. I was just over here just trying to survive and children and all the things and figure myself out. And when I look at that, I wish I had started earlier. Now I really care about my legacy. What am I leaving behind? What's my legacy in my family? Am I, am I creating a legacy of love with these kids? Do, I mean, I talk to them all the time about like, you are white. If you're in a car with a black person and they get pulled over, you fucking start talking. Yeah. You fucking start talking. Right. Like I tell them all the time, you're fucking safe. I tell my son, you are the safest motherfucker around. You fucking speak <laughs> up. You know, right. Like they don't know though. They don't know unless someone tells them because yeah, it's just, their, yeah. it's just their existence. And so they don't have the awareness. Yeah. And my daughter, like she's enraged, like she's super pissed off that about Roe v. Wade and all the things. My daughter is beside I, her. I want, yeah. I want to have kids that are, that are activists. I want kids that are voting. My son was so excited that he's turning 18 when he saw that he was registered to vote and his, it said his name on this like sample about it. I thought he was going to lose his shit. I didn't even care about voting when I was 18. My son is over here like, cannot wait to vote. Can't wait. <laughs> like, what is your legacy? Like you really have to start thinking about like, forget your job. Like if you are in a job and you hate it, I mean, even just listening to you about how passionate you are, like that is a job. Like you could be a community organizer. You could be running campaigns for people. Like those are paid jobs. Like if you have things that you are that passionate about, that in love with, that obsessed with, that's a money maker. Like don't tell yourself like, oh, I have this passion over here and these things I'm interested in and then this shit job here that pays me, right? Like I feel like women do that all the time versus saying, hold on, what's my legacy? Oh, I really want to be active. Like, I really want to fucking get Roe v. Wade back on the books. Like, I that that's important to me. If I could fucking if that could happen in my lifetime, if I was involved in that, I would literally die a happy person. Okay, well, that's something you know about yourself, right? Like, thinking about what do I want my legacy to be in my family, with my with my friends, with my in my work, in my career. Like, really thinking like not just like you now, but like ten years from now, you. What do you? What would be like so amazing if you thought about it? like 10 years down the line, like, oh my God, could I heal tens of thousands of women? Could I free women to like really come into their own? Like when I think about that, that makes me really excited. That's part of my legacy, right? Yeah. So I want to get women thinking about this sooner because I think we, we get really distracted by things like, oh, make sure you have your Botox and you're thin enough, right? Like we're, we're, we're too distracted. I think we really have to think about like, what is your legacy? What is your legacy? What legacy do you want to leave? That's so powerful. I love it. Well, we are, we're out of time. I just, I feel so uh, invigorated, you know, talking to you. And it just reminds me, it, seriously, it reminds me of like, 
you know, I've read it, I've heard different people say it in different ways, but it's kind of like, what would you do for free? Right. What would you do because you love it that much? You're that passionate about it. You care that much about it. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that I would do for free. Actually, I do do it for free. It actually costs me money to do some of the stuff that I do. But, but that's the, people are like, if you ever ask, what's your purpose or what am I supposed to be doing with my life or what's my passion? That's the answer, right? What would you do for free? What, what is so in, in, but then we get caught up in, you know, have I invested enough? Do I have this? I need to buy that property. I need to do this. And, and you just, it's so easy to get sucked up into that and watching, watching my pop be removed from this planet before I feel like he was ever able to go chase that because he was just so busy doing the thing he was prescribed to do, be a provider, do the thing. You know, these are kind of things, but there's a huge risk in, in losing and leaving a really, really, you know, like a lucrative career or a, a safe space, right? That's a scary thing to think about. And everyone, a lot of people around you are going to be like, you're crazy. Like you shouldn't do that. That's dumb. That's not responsible. And those are the types of things I think that, when you have a coach, when you have other women that you can look at and go, well, she did it. She did it. And she was successful. And look at this person and look at that person, you know? So I just want to thank you for the work that you do for women and for people in general. I mean, statistics and research show over and over that when women are given autonomy and opportunity and voice, the entire world benefits. Like, so it's not just for women or about women. We, we make it better for everybody, including old yeah. white men. God yeah, and I tell women like we are the leaders, and and I'll tell you how I know we're the leaders, because when I tell woman, a woman one thing, like for example, let me just ask you, are you going to talk about this podcast? Something I said. Are you going to tell another person? Right. Right. So why? Because you want to improve things all the time. All women want to do is improve the world their own lives, other people's lives. You want to improve your friends' lives, your kids' lives, your husband's life. You, I literally, will, if I have, like, I will come off this conversation and I will go tell my kids, I will go tell my, why? Because we want things to be better. This is why women are the leaders. That's why it does, the buck stops here. This is why we need to be in all places and phases of leadership because this is what we do best. We share information. We're like, I want it to be better. We care, right? So that is why we should be running things. And that is yeah. why we will run things. Yes. And yeah, it's like, I don't want to hold someone down. I don't think that if you get what you want, that that means I get less of what I want. I don't see the world like that. The more we help, the more we share, the more we help, you know, build people up. And like, like you were saying earlier, and I have felt this way for a long time, like white people need to get the fuck out of the way and let other people have a turn and a, a voice and a, you know, and sometimes, unfortunately, you have to use your voice to get friends or family or other people in your circle of influence to kind of like, look at that, which is, which is sad. You know, I'm always like, well, why can't people just think for themselves? They should want to do that on their own of their own volition. They shouldn't have to be told to do the right thing, but it is what it is, right? Like I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't expect the world to change overnight, but I didn't think we would be going backwards. And it, it scares me sometimes. So the point is we can't lose hope. We have to stick together. Um, but also by you making changes in your life with your relationships, with your career, with your relationship to alcohol and like removing numbing agents and, and 
then, then you are making a change in the world as well, because we have to clean up our own shit first, right? Before we can go be fully <laughs> useful. Um, yeah. to, I can't to do the work in the world that I'm meant to do if I'm numbed out. Right. And yeah. not, no woman needs to be numbing out because the world needs you. You need to be yes. doing your work in the world to move the ball forward. So if you're numbing yourself out, you cannot do that. So that's no, the bottom never. line. Yes. yourself out you cannot do the cl- you can't have the clarity you can't have the intuition and you can't have the power that you have inherently inside mm. thank you so much for joining you're awesome this was amazing. well you're amazing <laughs> and I'm so- this was such a juicy conversation i enjoyed every damn minute me too thank you